ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. Well, hello there. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about gaming and entertainment. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, hello there, adventurers, and good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda. It is time to bring you the headlines from all the gaming and entertainment news sources. We're going to check out the latest from Reddit's Blackout Battle, some Final Fantasy 16 spoilers. Netflix has an update about their subscription numbers. We've got some news coming out from Kick, and we're going to take a look back at this weekend's box office and more. Saddle up and let's go. To better understand a little bit more about the controversy surrounding Reddit, I'm going to back up just a little bit. I first reported on the Reddit blackout last week, but let me explain a little bit more. So what's going on? API stands for Application Programming Interface. It allows two applications to talk to each other. Then as the name suggests, it's an interface where apps can send data back and forth without actually accessing the app itself. There are many companies that use an API. Amazon has a price tracking service called Camel, Camel, Camel. And for PC gamers, Steam's API is what populates services like SteamDB. So you can go back and look at sales tracking and numbers and so forth. So here comes Reddit. Reddit has an API. And they've had third-party apps that apparently are going to be shutting down by the end of the month, end of June. And a lot of them, five of the most popular subreddits are closing down temporarily, but the temporariness kind of extended out past the original two-day blackout. So here comes Reddit. Reddit has long maintained a free interface. So anybody building an application could request data from Reddit and use that to build their own application. And someone could build that application with their own interface and any additional features that they want and then use Reddit's API to populate it with things like subreddit information, posts and comments, user profiles. Every time an app does this, it makes a request to Reddit's API. So whenever you want to view a post, this third-party app requests that post from Reddit, and if you want to comment, it sends it back to the Reddit API. Now, the important part is that the API isn't the application itself. So other apps can access that information on Reddit without the app revealing all of its inner workings. So they launched this API seven years ago. But back in April, they announced that the Reddit's going to be making some changes. And that includes they're now going to charge for API access, meaning developers who made an app for Reddit are now going to need to pay for the request. This is becoming more common companies to do this. Elon Musk did it when he took over Twitter a couple of months ago. 
Twitter started charging for API access and dozens of third-party apps started dropping their access. With a paid API, developers generally need to pay on a per-request basis. The more popular an application is, the more requests it needs to make, so the more money it's going to cost. One developer claimed that Reddit is charging $12,000 for every 50 million requests, which comes out to be about 24 cents per 1,000 requests, which doesn't sound like a lot, but here comes Apollo, which is a very popular Reddit app for Apple products. They can make upwards to 7 billion, that's billion with a B, requests in one month, which comes out to nearly $2 million per month and over $20 million per year. That's a very high price. According to Apollo's developer, they need to pay $166 for every 50 million APIs calls um, to other applications. And this just shows how expensive this change is going to be. Now, Reddit says that its free API model just wasn't sustainable because there's so many users visiting the website through third-party apps, so they're not going to see the ads that Reddit puts on its website on the first-party app. So the situation with the API changers really kind of centered around Apollo, the third-party Reddit app for Mac and iPhone. The app has already declared they're closing their doors June 30th which is just over a month before the new API pricing goes into effect. So according to the developer, Apollo would need to add, add ADD, 12,000 new subscribers to its app at $5 per month immediately just to break even. That doesn't account for the free users either. Apollo is made by a single developer and it was free to use with optional subscriptions if you just wanted additional features. Makes sense. But the math is just not adding up. To illustrate the point, the developer is speculating that Reddit will spend roughly 12 cents per user per month. With the API changes, Apollo would need to spend $2.50 per user per month. And they're not the only ones shutting down. In response to these changes, several apps announced that they're also going to be cutting off their service. These are including Red Planet, Sync, and Reddit is Fun. So, the blackout. In protest of Reddit's API changes and the effect it's having on the third-party apps, thousands of subreddits announced a 48-hour blackout. The protest, which was called RedArt, included about 8,000 subreddits, most of which had been set to private as of June 12th, which means users, they can't visit, they can't post, they can't comment on the subreddits until the admins bring them back public again. Several of the most popular subreddits are, po- are that are participating, including gaming, food, funny, and aw, all of which have over 30 million subscribers. So in total, RedArk accounts for over 2.5 billion users on Reddit. Although the Reddit blackout was supposed to end after 48 hours, which was June 14th, over 6,000 subreddits are still private which includes videos, music, and the all section. Following the backlash, Reddit CEO Steve Huffman hosted an Ask Me Anything, which was centered around the API changes, and you know that's just going to go fantastic. The company announced it was updating its API terms, but it doesn't look like it will be bringing back popular apps like Apollo. 
the company is going to stick with its pricing of 24 cents per 1,000 API calls, which is the same number that Apollo figured out and quoted. However, Reddit says that apps using less than 100 requests per minute through their authorization client ID will be able to use the API free of charge. And according to Reddit, over 90% of the apps available today will fall into this category. The executive did address some other changes during the AMA. Reddit said it will limit access to explicit content through its API starting July 5th and that moderation tools that need access to the API should continue to have free access. Should continue. That's a little ambiguous. Just my opinion. In addition, Reddit says that accessibility-focused apps such as Red Reader will continue to have free access to the API. So that's what started it. It's not even over yet. Reddit moderators are now saying that they've been contacted by Reddit themselves and they're being threatened over what? They're being threatened to reopen the subreddits that are currently closed due to the ongoing protests. One moderator for the subreddit of Apple, Aaron P613, noted that Reddit threatened to remove moderators that would not reopen the subreddits that are currently dark. Reddit cited the moderator code of conduct as their justification for these moderators to reopen these communities, noting that it's their responsibility to keep these subreddits open. One admin for the mod support subreddit wrote, if there is no consensus but at least one mod who wants to keep the community going, we will respect their decisions and remove those who no longer want to moderate from the mod team. In an email that was sent to IGN, a Reddit spokesperson says that it hasn't, quote, threatened anyone, unquote. It asserted that its goal is to not pressure moderators, but rather it is communicating expectations and how things work. The statement also explains more about how it's enforcer, enforcing the moderator code of conduct. And it's important to note that the code of conduct isn't just about what mods can and cannot do, the statement says. It's also about protecting the user's rights to assemble and discuss topics that they're passionate about. Redditors want to Reddit. It's also important to reiterate that mods just want a mod. We want mods who want to mod to be able to do so. The Verge reported that some of the moderators of the subreddits that were getting the messages from Reddit explaining that it was willing to work towards reopening the subreddits and it would process a top mod removal request or they would reorder the mod team in an attempt to reopen the communities. Now, some people are saying that the threat of removal is a threat to somebody, which is what Reddit says they weren't doing. So it sounds, it's a little contradictory. Reddit saying, we're not threatening anybody, but if you're not willing to work with us or you're not willing to reopen your subreddit, we're going to kick you out. That kind of sounds like a threat to me, but I'm not, I'm odd. So the news about all of these threats came less than a day after Steve Huffman, the CEO, announced that the company was going to update the moderator removal policy. And the new policy would give ordinary Redditors the ability to vote out moderators more easily. So if the Redditors want to do an uprising, they can get rid of a mod that they don't like. The statement that was emailed to IGN said Huffman's quote from NBC News was, in, quote, included without full context, saying that Huffman had told the outlet, 
Users have been vocal about wanting the communities back open, and the company could look at developing a way for the community members to vote out a mod if they disagree with the decision being made that's impacting everybody. Reddit threatening the moderators to reopen the closed subreddits is pretty interesting for a, a couple of reasons. Huffman told The Verge that Reddit does not have a problem with the protest. And earlier in the week, Huffman had sent out a memo to the employees saying that the protests are going to pass and it hadn't really been having a significant revenue impact for the company. But now, back in February, it's being said that Black Cat, which is a ransomware group, they were able to fish Reddit. They did a phishing attack. This was reported by Bleeping Computer first. But in a post shared by researcher uh, Dominic Alvieri, Black Cat has claimed to have stolen 80 gigs, 80 gigabits of data from Reddit and is now threatening to release it publicly if their demands are, are not met. Y'all, Reddit had a hacker and now they have a $4.5 million ransom they're facing. So here we have the blackouts and now we have a ransom demand. The group is wanting the $4.5 million in exchange for the data and is also demanding that Reddit roll back its planned API pricing changes that has spurred the protest. At the time of the hack, Reddit said that hackers had used a sophisticated and highly targeted phishing attack to get access to internal documents and internal data. That includes contact info for employees and their advertisers. But the company maintained the hackers hadn't accessed the user data that wasn't public. They did decline to comment on the record about the hacking. Bleeping Computer reported that Black Cat hack and the incident disclosed by uh, Reddit in February are one and the same. Black Cat's new demands around API pricing changes is following the contentious back and forth between the Reddit leadership and some of the more engaged users. When Reddit announced it would begin charging the developers of third-party apps, potentially to the tune of millions of dollars a year, which is coming from the, the developer of Apollo. Apollo stated that it would cost them up to $20 million a year to be able to handle all of the API requests, which is why they're shutting down. They just can't sustain. When the subreddits went dark and everything got limited, Steve Huffman went and did another interview, and they did one with The Verge, and said the platform was never designed to support third-party applications, and the company wouldn't be pulling back from its proposed changes. So the Reddit fight seems to just be getting longer. It's getting messier. You've got executives like Huffman that's just not willing to give an inch. You've got the top Redditors plus the mod teams that just they don't want to give in either. So it's like this. It's visually to me, it looks like this vicious tug of war that we're not sure who's going to win. It looks like the executives may win, especially if they go through these moderation changes where they they allow the users to have more control over who moderates the subreddits and i i think in the next week we're probably going to see more and more subreddits reopening whether they give in under the threat of being removed or moderators actually getting removed i have seen several subreddits lately of we were we we came out from the blackout but we still support the changes we, we support that the api changes be revoked uh so we're going to see how it all breaks down. But in the meantime, we've got a couple of subreddits that they've decided they're going to change things up a little bit. The Steam subreddit is one 
that I frequently go to where I can see what's coming up with changes, potential improvements, complaints, memes, you name it. It's a fun time in the Steam subreddit. But if you go to the Steam subreddit today, you're not going to find any detailed arguments about how achievements are displayed, chart discussions. Instead, you're going to find this. Yep, you heard that right. This entire subreddit of Steam has turned into a subreddit about Steam. You know, the substance containing water in the gas phase that has like a million different applications, the harnessing of which is one of the most important technological revolutions in all of history. So you go to the Reddit page and you now see steam engines, steam trains, steam boats, steamy pictures of plants, uh, boiling pots of water with steam, valves, lots of pictures of valves. This whole community is now leaning into the whole valve steam versus valve slash steam misunderstanding because of the ongoing battle with large parts of its own user base and the third-party developers, many of which have been able to use the site's API for free for other applications for years. And with the whole Reddit going dark, they just decided, you know, we're going to bring it back up, but we're going to do a protest a little bit differently. The admins sent a message to PC Gamer. And said, as y'all likely know, we've been dark to support the blackout against Reddit's antagonistic behavior towards its own user base. The admins sent us a message saying we must open or get removed. So here we are, unquote. And it ends by pointing users towards the Steam Discord, which remains active. But honestly, um, don't move to Discord. It's kind of an awful replacement for forums. Discord's got great uses, let's be honest. It's an awesome community. But it doesn't have the capacity to handle all the Reddit users migrating over. So we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see what happens. But the real Steam is about to run their Steam Next Fest, which is a chance to try out hundreds of new games. And so we'll kind of take a look at that and give you a brief overview. But needless to say, some people have decided that the Reddit blackout wasn't effective enough, so they're just gonna change the subreddits into something a little different for the time being uh, to continue opening, but at the same time continue their protests. I'm excited to see what these subreddits are going to come up with next. Maybe we could get the epic subreddit to do like epic battles of history. That would be really awesome. We'll turn it into a history forum. I'm on it. Final Fantasy 16 may have some spoilers leaking online due to illegitimate acquisitions. With less than a week until launch day, Square Enix has confirmed that physical copies of Final Fantasy 16 have leaked out into the wild and that it's currently investigating the illegitimate acquisitions and is acting to limit the damage that they may cause ahead of the game's June 22nd release date. So my friends, be careful out there. There may be some spoilers on the way. Square Enix shared this news to their Twitter account, and it's also asking anyone who gets an early copy to be just be respectful to those who haven't played it yet. Don't share screenshots. Don't share videos. Refrain from doing live streams until the June 22nd release date. 
They wrote in their post, we're aware that a small number of physical copies of Final Fantasy 16 are being circulated and we'll be in the process of a thorough investigation and we're acting to limit this ahead of the official launch. For those who receive a copy, we kindly ask you, would you kindly, uh, don't share any aspect of the game. This includes live uh, streams, screenshots, videos, until the game has officially launched. Our priority is to ensure that the full game experience is not spoiled for our fans. And to do that, we're taking down any images, videos, or streams published ahead of launch day. We ask for your assistance and your cooperation in this final week ahead of launch. It's almost June 22nd, and we can't wait for you to experience the full game the way the development team intended. So if you can't wait for Final Fantasy 16. You'll be happy to know there is a playable demo available now on the PS5 that features the first couple hours of the game and will transfer your save data to the full game upon release. Reddit might be safe to check out, though. I don't think you're going to see any spoilers on there right now. Netflix recently started to crack down on password sharing in the United States by forcing people on a shared account who don't live in the same house to sign up for their own account or leave. And in a surprise, subscriber numbers are actually increasing. A research company by the name of Antenna went and did a study that said that after the password sharing changes went to effect in late May, Netflix had the four single largest days of U.S. subscription additions since 2019. They said they have added um, almost 100,000 new signups back on May 26th and 27th. The average daily signup after the password sharing changes jumped by 102% compared to their previous 60-day average. New signups were reportedly higher than even the spikes that came during COVID lockdowns. Tons of people signed up during COVID because what else did we have to do? But password sharing crackdowns, these figures are coming from the third party and should be considered unofficial and unconfirmed. But Netflix is going to hold its first earnings report since the password sharing crackdown in July is when they're going to do their report. And this is when they're going to provide further insight and data about the change. As per the new Netflix rules, anyone who previously benefited from password sharing is going to have to get their own account or they're going to have to move on to something else. But account owners who are feeling generous can spend $8 a month on top of their existing membership to keep any non-paying people there. For those that decide to keep their own account, Netflix offers a profile transfer feature so any personalized content like lists and recommendations can be carried over to the new account. A reported 100 million Netflix accounts globally still share passwords, so Netflix cracking down makes sense, uh, and it is a move to help the company make more money. Now, the CEO, Greg Peters, said during an earnings briefing that some people using a shared account are watching as much as the main account owner and have a very strong likelihood of converting to a paid account, and it really kind of looks like that's exactly what's happening. The crackdown has really been a long time coming, and these changes were already made in various other countries and regions around the world before it hit the U.S., so there was a precedent. So when Netflix does their official earnings report in July, we'll see how effective those changes really were. Twitch mega streamer XQC is about to become former Twitch mega streamer XQC. 
as he announced that he is signing with the company's newest rival, a streaming platform by the name of Kick. It offers better revenue splits and also seems to be more centered around online gambling. This non-exclusive deal is valued up to $100 million over two years and is considered to be the, la- the latest and biggest blow to Twitch as creator discontent is continuing to mount. As first reported by the New York Times, this agreement is going to pay out $35 million per year with $30, $30. That's a little bit of an incentive. $30 million in additional incentives available if XQC can hit certain benchmarks. And as DeSherto is pointing out, this would make the 12th biggest annual payout in all of sports, putting XQC right ahead of Kevin Durant, of all people. What is Kick? Okay, so Kick is a streaming platform startup, and it was founded and funded by online gambling companies, including EasyGo Gaming and Stake.com. So following Twitch's crackdown on gambling promotions last fall, and that was a big controversy in itself, the platform Kick attracted big names like Aiden Ross, Bruce Dropamoff, and Trainwrecks TV with their more lax rules and a 5-95 revenue split for creators. So creators get 95% of their revenue. But it's not clear if Kick is profitable or how it's going to become profitable, but it has managed to benefit from a backlash against Twitch as the platform has started to more aggressively monetize the people making content for it. The, quote, child of Twitch raised in its often toxic chat, XQC started in the world of League of Legends. Toxic, I believe that. And before moving on to Overwatch, before he competed in Blizzard's Overwatch League pretty briefly, before eventually being released from the team Dallas Fuel after a series of suspensions for offensive comments you know toxic he pivoted to being a full-time content creator back in 2018 and he had this mix of high level play unfiltered remarks um controversy upon controversy and it and it just grew from there and it turned him into twitch's most watched streamer by 2021 but by 22 uh he was it was revealed he was earning about $8 million in subscriptions on the platform. That same year, he lost $1.8 million in a single month from online gambling. His contract doesn't stop him from streaming on Twitch, although Twitch has a rule about simulcasting. So it's going to be unclear how much time, if any, that XQC will devote to the platform that helped him turn into a star in, in the first place. XQC isn't the only one leaving the platform, though. It was just recently announced that Caitlin Siragusa, who you'll recognize as variety streamer Amaranth, is also leaving. She's leaving 6.4 million followers behind to stake her claim on a part of Kick as well. Other streamers are just fed up with the poorly communicated changes around stringent monetization rules and uh, a confusing 50-50 revenue split on Twitch. Sarah Goose is willing to take the risk on the unestablished and potentially more lucrative streaming site on Kick. Sarah Goose made the announcement in a teaser trailer posted to Twitter back on June 17th. And in the video, she, quote, stumbles on a New York Times article describing XQC's recent $100 million deal with Kick. 
and then calls her agent to request the same. A link to the brand new Amaranth kick page appears at the end of the video, accompanied by an ominous orchestral swell of music. Details about Amaranth's deal with Kick are not known, although there have been whispers that her deal was about $30 million. But the rumor's origin seems to be a meme Twitter account, so can't really take that one as gospel. We may never know the terms of her deal. All we know is that she's leaving Twitch behind. Hello, Kick. Developer 343 Industries had significant layoffs earlier this year, and now, as a consequence, Halo Infinite has scrapped its story-driven seasonal cutscenes. In a tweet, the community director Brian Gerard explained that 343 had to make the trade-off to make further gameplay improvements instead of new story content for Halo Infinite. Quote, as we've refined our top priorities and we've shifted resources internally this year, we had to make the decision to forego seasonal narrative cutscenes to make room for the team to continue focusing on highly requested features, content, and improvements for Halo Infinite. These trade-offs are never easy to make, and we truly appreciate your support as the team works to make Halo Infinite the best experience possible. And while the job is far from over, Season 4 marks another big step forward, and we remain committed to this journey with the Halo community, unquote. So the mention of the shifted resources may refer to the layoffs that affected 343 earlier this year and saw Halo Infinite director Joseph Statton leave the developer. And while prioritizing gameplay has been heralded by some of the community members in Gerard's replies to the tweet, some who have enjoyed the Halo story were just, they were left feeling upset over that part of the, it was two decade long franchise being left behind. Now 343 was forced to clarify that Halo and Master Chief are here to stay following the layoffs and said it will continue to develop Halo now and in the future, including epic stories and multiplayer and, and more of what makes Halo great. And they're reportedly working on a new Halo project, which is codenamed Tatanka, built on Epic Games' Unreal Engine rather than their own in-house Slipspace engine. And we'll find out more information about that a little later. Kind of sad to see the ending of this Halo Infinite coming, but we'll see what they have in store for us next. Dota 2 is coming up on its 10th anniversary, and with it is going to be a major break with tradition. Dota 2 is going to be moving away from their Battle Pass model because Valve says there are better uses of developers' time and most players never buy one anyway. Although the game has received the Battle Pass, which was originally called a compendium, to accompany and fund the prize pool for every year's international tournament, Valve's decided there's not going to be one this year. In fact, it's dramatically ratcheting down how much it focuses on Battle Pass content in general and instead, it's going to pledge to focus on more regular updates that can be experienced by the entire Dota 2 player base. In the Dota 2 blog titled, Learning from the Past, Looking to the Future, Valve said the Dota 2 Battle Pass has grown to encompass just about any content we produce for Dota over the years. That created a tremendously exciting time in Dota, but it meant the rest of the year felt barren in comparison. And so... Valve ran an experiment. They took development resources that would, in every other year, have gone towards developing the Battle Pass for the International 2023 
and instead put them towards more speculative updates, features, and content they couldn't fit into Battle Pass. And that experiment actually bore fruit in the form of Dota 2's new Frontiers update. The patch that made the game so big, it's basically Dota 3, according to PCG's Jody McGregor. Most Dota players never buy a Battle Pass and never get any rewards from it, said Valve. But every Dota player has gotten to explore the new map, play with all the new items, and accidentally die to a Tormentor. And every Dota player benefits from the UI improvements and every new client feature. And the positive community response to the new Frontiers update has given Valve the confidence that working less on cosmetic content for the Battle Pass and more on a variety of exciting updates is really the right long-term path for Dota as a game and as a community. This is kind of surprising to hear that the majority of players never buy the Battle Pass. But I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, it's not uncommon to hear that large chunks of transaction revenue for games are driven by a relatively small number of the very committed players. Valve is still pretty keen on selling all sorts of the wondrous pretty cosmetics and the overwhelming particle effects. They're still going to be working on that, but what they're going to be kicking off with now is a more of an international-themed update. It's coming in September, and it's going to focus on the event, the players, and the games that take place, wherein the news cosmetics won't be a big notable part. So to make it clear, they're shifting focus towards this event away from the giant reward line of cosmetics, and we're intentionally not calling it a battle pass, they said. Like the battle passes of yesteryear, sales from that update will contribute to the international prize pool, though it's likely it's going to be a bit lower this year without the singular glitz and glamour and fear of missing out that the battle pass usually brings. But it's not clear from their post whether this is a full stop to the Battle Pass system in Dota 2 or if Valve is just temporarily skipping it in order to return with a lighter, less development-intense version in the future. It was reached out for comment from Valve, and as soon as they release a reply, we'll let you know about it. But as of right now, you can look forward to the celebratory 10th anniversary update for Dota 2, of course, Valve hasn't said when that will come out, except to say it definitely won't be on the actual 10th anniversary, which is July the 9th. Quote, yes, we're working on some fun stuff for it. No, we're definitely not going to hit the July 9th date listed on Steam, according to the company. Take heart, Dota fans. Some things never change. Warner Brothers and DC Studios The Flash opened in first place at the domestic box office this past weekend. It grossed $55.1 million, according to estimates from the measurement firm of Comscore. But the superhero movie fell short of its early domestic box office projections, which was in the $70 to $75 million range. Internationally, the film made $75 million, which brings the global cumulative to $130. Now, The Flash is not the first DC title to disappoint at the box office, especially in recent years. The critically panned Shazam! Fury of the Gods launched back in March at $30 million, and Black Adam only grossed $67 in October, which is not a terrible number in its opening weekend, but compared to rival studio Marvel movies, they typically raked in about $100 million on the opening weekend, so it fell really short. 
Now, the studio of Warner Brothers has been in a state of turmoil since they merged with Discovery. And it resulted in a lot of layoffs and it killed so many projects, most notably Batgirl. Batgirl was finished. Batgirl was ready to come out. Everything had been filmed. Maybe it just needed a little bit more polish. And they chunked it into the trash can like yesterday's lunch. No clue why they said it was just not going to earn the money. They were going to lose more money. Honestly, I think they lost more money by chunking it. But I'm not in the offices, so I don't know. They also killed off Wonder Woman 3. Uh, Wonder Woman 2, which was Wonder Woman 1984, didn't do as well in the box office as they were hoping that Wonder Woman had done, the first one had done in theaters. But Wonder Woman 2 was not, is it wasn't received as well. So that was an easy kickoff for them. Um, but The Flash was not among the casualties of films that were deleted. And that was a controversial decision. Why was that? Well, legal scandals and disturbing allegations surrounding its star, Ezra Miller. But more on that in just a moment. The Flash saw Ezra Miller's Barry Allen character embark on a supersonic journey through space and time in an effort to save the universe. Seems to be a common theme these days. And reportedly, the movie has a really good supporting cast. You've got Sasha Kaye coming in at Supergirl, Ben Affleck's Batfleck Batman, and the return of the big man himself, Michael Keaton, as Batman. <laughs> but aside all that, the action film's release is coming on the heels of a really turbulent period for both the studio and its lead actor, who has repeatedly been arrested and accused of misconduct in recent years. In 2020, the 30-year-old actor was filmed, we're talking about Ezra Miller, was filmed grabbing a female fan by the throat in Iceland. Two years later, in 2022, was arrested twice, two times, in Hawaii on suspicion of disorderly conduct and harassment for allegedly causing a disturbance at a local bar and second-degree assault for allegedly throwing a chair at a woman. Prosecutors dropped the harassment charge after Miller pleaded no conduct, no contest, excuse me, to misdemeanor disorderly conduct, and he was ordered to pay a $500 fine. No formal charges had been pressed in the assault case. But in June of 2022, the parents of an 18-year-old in North Dakota accused Miller of exhibiting cult-like behavior and, quote, using emotional and psychological manipulation to groom their child from the age of 12. The teenager at the center of the case has since defended Miller and dismissed the grooming allegations as a, quote, disgusting and irresponsible smear campaign against the actor. January of 23, Miller was placed on probation after they were charged with trespassing and felony burglary in Vermont, where a child services agency was reportedly searching for a mother and her three children who had been living on Miller's farm. Now, the burglary charge was later dropped after Miller pled guilty to trespassing. And as part of the plea deal, Miller was ordered to pay a $500 fine, abstain from alcohol, and submit some random drug testing. Miller announced last year that they had begun ongoing treatment for complex mental health issues after going through a time of intense crisis. Miller said in a statement, I want to apologize to everyone that I have alarmed and upset with my past behavior. 
I am committed to doing the necessary work to get back to a healthy, safe, and productive stage in my life. The Justice League breakout star also repeatedly and reportedly met with studio executives and showed remorse for drawing negative attention to the movie as well as the studio. While Warner Brothers was going through this whole massive creative overhaul and they were dealing with a lot of backlash for that. So here comes Ezra Miller's case and people are paying really much attention to what's going on. And they start panning the Flash movie before it even came out, before they were even done with it. Warner Brothers Discovery president David Zaslov and DC co-head James Gunn have attempted to hype this movie up. They have both called The Flash one of the best superhero movies they've ever seen, with the director declaring that no one could play the Scarlet Speedster better than Miller. Well, the Flash earned mixed reviews and a fairly decent 67% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a B grade from audiences polled by CinemaScore. Times film critic Justin Chang wrote, quote, The most compelling question that The Flash poses is, in the end, has little to do with separating the art from the artist. It's about whether we can separate the film from the fan service. The senior media analyst at Comscore, Paul Dergarabedian, also was quoted as saying, every few years, you have one of these unfortunate situations where a star who is inexplicably linked with a character or a movie has a very public off-screen issue. This causes the studio publicity people nightmares because it takes one more thing out of their control. So The Flash will be a case study in what happens if you can't have the main star doing publicity. So while The Flash did have a lukewarm opening, they did take the top spot for the weekend. In second place for the weekend for the domestic box office was Disney and Pixar's newest release, Elemental, which debuted with a pretty lackluster showing of its own at $29.5 million. And in third place came Sony Pictures Animation's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which added $27.8 million to its third weekend. That one has gotten a total of $280 million domestically. The Disney Pixar latest offering, Elemental, is not necessarily yet considered a flop, but it did fail to meet even the low end of analyst expectation. This is an animated love story. It made fourth place internationally with only $15 million, so worldwide total opening weekend, 44.5. This is the second box office disappointment in a row after Lightyear, for the studio duo that really once ruled the animation market. But it's facing stiff competition in recent years with Sony Pictures, with the Spider-Man series, even Universal, DreamWorks, and in Illumination. Disney Pixar are still struggling to do a theater comeback after releasing multiple films direct to streaming. Because of the COVID shutdowns, Soul, Luca, and Turning Red went straight to Disney+. The studios haven't had a blockbuster hit since 2019 with Toy Story 4. Elemental did receive high praise from the critics. It has a 75% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Elemental also secured an A from audiences, polled by CinemaScore. Our wacky news story of the week is coming from an unexpected source, Square Enix is winning the stunt of the day by commissioning an actual swordsmith to make a giant Final Fantasy 16 weapon 
and then getting it displayed in the Tower of London. So here we have Final Fantasy 16 coming out in just a couple days and they're marketing, they're spending money on this marketing campaign like it's going out of style. And they decided to have the main character's sword forged in real life and then get it into the Tower of London. The exhibition will last a month and it marks a partnership with the Royal Armories, which no doubt has received a very handsome check for its troubles. Now, to be fair, the Royal Armories is a very serious and it's renowned museum that keeps and displays the United Kingdom's national collection of arms, armory, and artillery from throughout history. I really want to see this now. It manages the White Tower at the Tower of London among with the two other national museums. Now, for the next month, the Final Fantasy 16 sword, which is called Invictus, will be on display on the first floor of the White Tower, a very cheery place where it's believed, among other things, Guy Fox was tortured to near death before being put to death. Square Enix's press release notes with some glee that this marks the first time a sword created from a video game has ever been housed in the Royal Armories alongside armor once owned by kings. Okay, sure. So this sword, it took months by the swordsmith by the name of Todd Todeschini. And then look, it has to be said, this looks incredible. The recreation of this, this in-game item, the detail is amazing. The lower part of the blade was ground from solid steel they did some wheel, uh, steel pegs that were welded on. The upper part of the blade was made from two hollow shells wetted, welded together. They cleaned them up using belt and hand grinders, and then they spot welded everything to complete the blade. It is beautiful. Now, silly marketing stunts aside, Final Fantasy 16 does look like it might be the coolest game in recent years for Final Fantasy. It's not sure when the game will release on PC as it was previously announced to be released on PC and then they unannounced it. The June 22nd release date that was announced is just strictly for the PS5 edition. So PC players, we got a little bit more of a wait. We'll announce as soon as we have a release date for PC. This game looks beautiful. It looks amazing. I will drop the link down below so you can see this absolute monstrosity sword that is currently going to be housed in the Tower of London, courtesy of the Royal Armories and Square Enix. Swords and blackouts and steam, oh my, wow, what an awesome trip this has been. I want to thank you everybody for joining me today. And do remember, join us next time as we're going to check out the latest in gaming and entertainment news. Remember, stay comfy in the starter zone. This has been Amanda. Good luck and have fun. to the starter zone with amanda i am raven we thank you for your time and support without you we simply would not be 
please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us comments or send us audio clips. Be interesting and you might make it on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. 